Thank you, Caleb. Thank you, Michelle. A religion is only as good as the circumstances that it bears up under. And a savior is only as good as his ability to save and the circumstances he's able to help you weather. There are lots of people that claim religion, but it's not a good religion to go into eternity with because it doesn't have confidence of what the end result's going to be. I'm thankful that I have a savior who has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that once we have found ourselves by the grace of God under the blood of Christ, we have a salvation that'll bring us safely before the face of our loving Heavenly Father. Give me Jesus. Trials of faith come into all of our lives. The Lord has promised that we're going to be tested, hasn't he? What are the reasons for those tests? If not to vindicate testimony of our God. It would do me no good to promise you a million dollars if you knew what was in my bank account. For me to tell you that is utterly ridiculous. Now, if I promised that I would give you a million dollars because my wife's going to come through tomorrow, that might at a different story because she would give me the million dollars to give you. I'm sure of it. But that's a ridiculous test. You know that I don't have a million dollars just to give you. At least I assume you know that. There are promises that we can make because maybe they'll never be tested. I think a lot of people enter into marriage making promises never expecting them to be tested. And yet you look at the divorce rate even amongst the household of faith. And what a disaster that is to our ability to keep our own word, right? I promise in sickness and in health, in rich, for richer or for poorer. And after 5, 10, 20 years, what has happened to those promises? They've been tested, and what backs up the promise has collapsed under the pressure. When you face death, do you want your faith to collapse under the pressure because what's standing behind it is faulty? has failed, is fragile, maybe is simply air, is vanity. God brings us through tests to show us in this life that he's good for the one to come. 
will we be able to negotiate life into the one to come with the God who has revealed himself in his word? The answer is, if you really know that God and you really know his word, absolutely. In the Bible, God asks that question through his psalmist in terms of a rhetorical question. We like rhetorical questions. As a parent, I have rhetorical questions that sometimes I ask my children. Did you really just do that? You ever ask, who do you think you are? What were you thinking? That's probably the most common because the only answer is, I, I wasn't. Duh. You know, we ask rhetorical questions because the answer is assumed. It's too obvious to ask legitimately, so you have to use the rhetorical device of a question to make the point, ironically, yes, I know, I'm too stupid to live. I did, I did it, yes. I didn't mean to, but I did. Well, you did mean to do it. You just didn't mean the outcome to be the same. You weren't thinking ahead of the event. Well, God asks us rhetorical questions to make us think. Paul would ask the church rhetorical questions. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You're not your own, for you're bought with a price. It's obvious. The Lord Jesus died on the cross and shed his infinite blood for you. Don't you know that you're not your own? Well, evidently the Corinthians needed to be reminded. Guess what? 21st century Christians, probably the ones at Bible Baptist Church, forget all the time. We're bought with a price. Glorify God in our bodies, which are his. The psalmist, through the Holy Spirit, brings up a rhetorical question, rhetorical device at the beginning of Psalm 27. Of whom should I be afraid? Some of us know the wonderful testimony song by Ron Hamilton, How Can I Fear When My Savior Is Near. It's the same rhetorical question the psalmist asks here in this song. How can I fear? Well, what's the basis for this confidence? Well, it's given to us in the very first verse. Look at it with me. You read it earlier. You probably know it by heart. The Lord is my light and my salvation and the strength of my life. Three simple statements that should answer to my fears. The Lord is my light. Enlightenment, surely. What's reality? What's truth? How do I avoid the pitfalls of sin, of calamity with the judge of all the earth? Well, 
Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. And we say thy word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path, all way. Then when we sing it, to guard and to keep me from sin, to show me the heavenly way, thy word have I hid in my heart, right? You could sing that chorus with me on the spot. It's illumination. But we know throughout the scriptures that whenever light is mentioned, light is everything that's good. Light represents God. Light represents goodness. Freedom from malicious and malignant circumstances. Light. Freedom. The Lord is my illumination. And he has set me free. Beyond that, the Lord is my salvation. Now, I would say up front that the psalmist, speaking from his point of view, already has a relationship with Jehovah God. And it's a relationship that has been proven through circumstance. He has no doubt that he belongs to that great shepherd and that he has access to the very ears of that great shepherd. Jehovah has a relationship with him. And this morning, most of us here today can think back to the time where we called on the name of the Lord to be saved from our sin. And this morning, with confidence, you would raise your hand to testify to the fact that, yes, I truly know the Lord Jesus as my Savior. When we're talking about salvation here, we could be talking about that historic event. My experience in the past of being saved from my soul's ultimate calamity and an eternity in hell. But it could also speak to the fact that I experience every day the guardianship and the care of a shepherd that saves me from myself, that saves me from the issues and the turmoils of life. Jehovah is my salvation. Without him today, I would be lost. Can you live a month? Can you live a week? Can you live a day without him? It's a sobering question, isn't it? How often do we find ourselves living our life experiences on our own terms? It distances us from the psalmist's testimony, the Lord is my salvation. But the Lord is, my, is the strength of my life. It goes on beyond that. 
really, you could say, the Lord is my stronghold. And this really ties us in even to last week's discussion and the basis for part of the song the choir sang today and that wonderful hymn which is being sung in churches all over the world today because of Reformation Sunday. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. The Lord is our stronghold. Where do you find your innermost security? Where are you the most settled? The illustration of a stronghold or a keep found throughout the Psalms and in other Old Testament passages, which we like to use even in our modern illustrations. That metaphor of the Lord being our castle reminds us of even the medieval constructions where you'd have outer walls and they were your first defenses. Your peasants out in the fields, your workers out in the woods harvesting sticks, your shepherds with their flocks. They hear the trumpet, you flee, you leave everything. You grab that one bag of your most precious necessities of life, maybe your weapon, and you run to the gate. Those outer walls are your first place of security. They'll give you a little bit more time. And you probably try to defend those. But any opposing force that knows you and wants what you have knows about those outer walls and is going to ride you out. Maybe they have a plan for destroying those walls. And so when those walls become breached, maybe you flee over a drawbridge and a moat into another set of walls. Stronger, higher, even more secure. And if you're familiar with medieval warfare, there are even ways to get past these defenses. Sometimes they even fail. But where do you put your most valued treasures? Maybe your children. You put them in the keep. That innermost, strongest tower where sometimes the door was over 20 feet up on the wall. You couldn't just knock on it. You had to climb to it. And once everything was inside and you'd secured that door, you got rid of the way up to it. You felt pretty good in there. Maybe you had stores, provisions to last you for a long time. Maybe you had a, a water source even inside because you had to wait it out. Trying to guard your outer walls and trying to guard your castle walls had already failed. You knew you weren't strong enough to fight the enemy face to face. You just hoped that in your keep, you could outweigh him. You get bored, give up. It's not worth it. Winter's coming. I want to go home. Maybe we'll come back next spring. You're in your keep. That's our stronghold. Jehovah, my stronghold. He's the one that guards 
the heart of the believer to where no one can snatch you away. Yeah, the devil can overwhelm our outer defenses. He can't take our souls. We can fool ourselves. We can mess up. We can fail. But what matters is kept. Jehovah, my stronghold. It's a rhetorical question. David knew the Lord as his light, as his salvation, as his stronghold. Why am I afraid? And his answer to himself was, I'm foolish. I'm weak. Why should I fear? I know my God is big. I know my God is great. Matter of fact, I know my God is the greatest. He is El Shaddai. El Elyon. I know he is Jehovah Sabaoth. And his hosts are infinite. And he commands them. By the word of his power, he can speak and all things come into being. And by that same word, he could speak and all things go away. Our Lord Jesus spoke and an angry sea became a dead calm. Sometimes we speak and it's just a bunch of bluster. But our bluster can't make anything happen. We don't have control. But our God does. Our Savior does. But David raises the rhetorical question because he does experience fear. And he knows that it doesn't make sense. He knows that in a way it's insane for him to quake. But he is also human and he lives in human circumstances and he lives in real time. And his experience is dust. He knows he needs the Lord as his light because there is darkness. Sometimes I wonder if Christians realize that there is darkness today. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. Or everybody's okay. My neighbors are okay. There's nothing wrong with world culture. Can't you see the darkness? Do you not see the wickedness of the heart of natural man in the course of events in this world? Does that not cause you concern, maybe anxiety? The world is a dark place. And for the child of God living in 21st century America, I better say it this way because now we're global, in this world today where everything that happens on the far and most remote areas can come to you on your newsfeed in a heartbeat. 
all of the wickednesses and the inconsistencies of life can be flashed before you in a heartbeat. The failures of all human institutions to live up to their expectations, the disappointments, catastrophes of life. We can experience them almost in real time even though we're half a world away. There's darkness. Because there is darkness, the believer must remember the Lord is my light. The Lord, my light. David still saw darkness. Matter of fact, when he wrote this psalm, he may have been in the darkness of a cave fleeing from King Saul and his soldiers in fear of his life. We need to remember the Lord is our salvation because in this life, there is always the threat of destruction. Nobody here has a perfect body anymore, right? We have experienced in the last couple of years a glaring reminder that our existence here is fragile at best. That our self-security in life can be snatched away from us with a COVID test. That our access to our, even our family and our friends can sometimes go away because now we're sequestered in a private room with no hope of seeing our loved ones again, right? We've seen that firsthand. We've had friends that were very vibrant a couple of years ago who are not with us today. Destruction, calamity, disaster is just outside the door. And it's pressing on every one of us who's honest enough to realize that our life is as a vapor appears for a little while and then vanishes away. There is a great need to remind ourselves that the Lord is our salvation. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation because there is darkness. There is danger. There is destruction. We need to remind ourselves that the Lord is our stronghold because there is the threat of attack, of persecution, being overwhelmed. We're told that the devil is our enemy, seeking whom he may devour. That's talking to Christians. It's not just the gullible, unsaved person who doesn't see the gospel, but it's the Christian who is naive enough to fail to notice that the world is dark, who fails to find safe safety with the Savior, and then loses the joy of his salvation, the strength of his integrity, by allowing the enemy to catch him before he secures himself 
in the stronghold of his Savior. But David had fear of enemies, of destruction, because he was a human being and he had seen firsthand what it meant to lose it all. He had witnessed destruction. He was going to see it again in the life of Saul. He knew who Jehovah was. Jehovah was his light, his salvation, his stronghold. In the next two verses in our psalm, we have an illustration that David gives us. We'll read them again quickly. When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. David gives us an illustration of his confidence because he says, you know, there could be times when personal enemies will come against you to completely eat you up. And my experience is when they did it, they stumbled and fell because the Lord was my light, my salvation, and my stronghold. Oh, and there were times when a host, an army, laid siege to me, circled me about, boxed me in, cornered me. I had no way of escape. And perhaps they had an overwhelming force and thought that they were going to swell over me and destroy me. But I had confidence. They couldn't do it. They could not succeed. Through siege or surge, David had witnessed the confidence of the Lord's protection and strength. The enemy cannot overwhelm the child of God. Then David launches into a personal testimony. His personal testimony begins in verse 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. His own testimony was, I have my confidence because I have one focus. My one focus is to find God and to fellowship with him. On God's terms, notice that David's fellowship is in God's tabernacle. Think of Psalm 84. How lovely are thy dwelling places, O Lord of hosts. And that even the sparrows can fly into the tabernacle of the Lord and find places in the eaves around the altar where they can build their nests and raise their young in safety but in proximity to the God of the universe. 
And David's illustration here, his testimony is that I can come into the very presence of God and have a relationship with him. I can dwell in his presence, in his sanctuary. But I can only do that with a singleness of heart. One thing have I asked, and that will I seek. A divided heart is going to fall. It's going to fail. Can't answer questions with confidence because there's always something in the back of their mind saying, what if? I'm not sure. That lack of singleness of heart. Notice that David is in awe of the person of the Lord, the beauty of the Lord, to catch a sense of his favor, the things that make him favorable. The Lord is good. Tell it wherever you go. Is he better than the other things that we could choose instead? If we have David's singleness of eye and heart, then yes. Our default answer is the Lord is always best. Any alternative is not better than the Lord. the quest of his own mind and his will to seek the Lord. We get into verse 5 and we see that in his personal experience he longs to be hidden in his Savior. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in his dwelling place. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me and set me up upon a rock. Where do you find stability? You find it in philosophy, entertainment, money, power. A child of God can only find security, that bedrock conviction of faith, unshakable, if his confidence is singly resting on the Lord, Jehovah God. And David reminds us that as I hide in the Lord, as he himself envelops me in his protective, loving arms, in that place, I find that I am never afraid and I'm not ashamed. He hides my soul in the cleft of the rock and covers me there with his hand. Just like the psalmist says in Psalm 40, he brought me up out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and then he sets my feet on a rock. That's a beautiful thing. Hidden in Christ, rooted and grounded. But that always leads to a public testimony. In Psalm 40, it led to a new song in my mouth, even praise to our God, many shall see it in fear. In Psalm 27... The testimony of our psalmist says, And now shall my head be lifted up above mine enemies. There's victory. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. That's a beautiful thing. Rhetorical question. 
why am I fearing? <laughs> it's ridiculous. You shouldn't fear. The Lord's your light, salvation, and stronghold. Yeah, and you know what? My experience bears that out. When I rest on him, I found him to be true to his word. Why are you tested? So that you can prove that the Lord's word is true. How do you know that you have heaven in front of you? It can be a pie-in-the-sky theory, but isn't it better to know from experience that it is absolutely true by seeing the Lord prove himself along the way to heaven? That's what the Lord has promised to do for his name's sake. One of our favorite and best-loved hymns is in our hymnal number 268. It's a rhetorical question. And it's given to us to challenge our disbelief. Because don't we sometimes know what the Lord has said, but still ask him to say it again or to say something more? I know what your word says, but I'm not sure that it applies to me. I'm not sure that it's good for this. I'm just not sure you meant to say what you've said. It doesn't seem to me. Those are all of our human responses coming out, and that usually squeezes out of us when life presses on us. But the unknown writer of this hymn gives us that rhetorical question, what more can he say than to you he hath said? To you who for refuge to Jesus hath fled. Then our hymnal gives us four following stanzas, each one based on promises of the Lord. Second stanza based on Isaiah 41.10, fear not, I am with you. Third stanza, Isaiah 43, when through the deep waters I call thee to go. Does God not bring us through dark waters? Yes, he does. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace is sufficient for thee. Comes from 1 Peter 1. The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 and following. Some of the endings of these stanzas remind us of other passages. Zechariah 13, 9. I will sanctify you through your distress. And then... That most familiar, Hebrews 13, 5, I'll never forsake. What a wonderful heritage we have in the Lord's promises. We ask ourselves today, what am I trusting in? Am I confident in the promises of my God? And the psalmist would scream out, yes, the Lord is your light. Yes, the Lord is your salvation. Yes, the Lord is your stronghold. Why are we afraid? We need to have confidence in him. But we can't just have confidence because we leave the service saying, yeah, I need to have confidence in God. I guess I'll just have to, have, I have to believe him. We don't have that belief or that confidence if we don't have that singleness of heart. 
an undivided spirit that relies on him to be who he says he is, to do what he says he wants to do, to have all of us be willing to dwell with him in his place, not forcing him to come down off of his throne and walk with us in our dividedness and our brokenness. Can we reaffirm our faith in our Savior by committing to him the singleness of our hearts today? And then rise up in victory, our heads above our enemies, established upon a rock, singing our praise to him. Let's have a word of prayer. Gracious Father, thank you for your word, for its strength, for its convicting truth. Lord, where we fail is when we lose sight of you and believe lies. When we become divided in our confidence. When we let other voices speak into our hearts. Lord, Help us to understand the imperative to commit ourselves solely to you and to trust solely in your care and to rest solely in your goodness. We do need Jesus. We need him to save us from our sins. We need him to strengthen us in our daily walk. We need him to be before us as we take up our crosses and follow him. We need him when we come to the end of life and face eternity. May we see him always before us. And Lord will rejoice when we see him face to face, because you are true to your promise. Give us that confidence today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.